Welcome to Bright Now, a podcast about parenting and educating talented kids, sponsored by the Johns Hopkins Center for Talented Youth. I'm your host, Jonathan Plucker, the Julian C. Stanley Endowed Professor of Talent Development at CTY and Johns Hopkins University. College. Even for bright students, the process of exploring your college options can be daunting. The game has also changed, so to speak, over the past 20 years, so even parents who had good college search and admissions experiences can be confused by how much things have changed. We'll be exploring these issues in a series of episodes this season in an effort to help families jumpstart their college explorations. To get us started, we have a very special guest today, Dr. Linda Brody from the Center for Talented Youth. Many CTY families will not need an introduction to Dr. Brody, as she has worked at CTY and Johns Hopkins and advised students on education issues for over 30 years. She's also a close colleague whose opinion I value greatly, and she certainly helped my family navigate this process. Linda, thank you so much for joining us on Bright Now. Hi, Jonathan. So let's get started with a pretty basic question. I um, And I was going to ask, how is the college search process different for a very bright student? I I guess a better way to put it is, is the college search process different for a very bright student? Well, the process is the same. You start off, there are many possible places that students could go. And initially, it's very overwhelming. I think ultimately, though, the challenge for bright students is many or most of them are aiming at the same selective schools uh, where we're looking at perhaps 5% admission rates. And that is pretty terrifying, leading them to apply to many more schools, which adds pressure in terms of getting applications done and in terms of their expectations for acceptance. Uh, So it's become really intense uh, and a lot of stress goes on in the families and the students who are already burdened with heavy course loads, activities, and everything else going on in their lives then have all these applications to fill out during their senior year. So uh, it's it's become a very stressful experience. Yeah, one, one thing that my own family wasn't, I mean, we know the process. We know the game part of it. Um, but just the time, just the mm-hmm. time that my daughter had to put into it, that her friends had to put into it. Um, I've heard, I've heard uh, several people say it really is like, an, like a whole nother class you're taking your senior year. It just takes that much time. And as you pointed out, these are already very busy young people, right? And so it's just this huge burden. And then after they've done their best, the expectations are very high. They are not prepared for rejection for the most part. Even if they start off realistic, they're not realistic by the time that they've hit that send button on right. the application. Right, right, right. Uh, which is just human uh, nature too, yeah. right? Like, as you invest so much time in something yeah. and you say, hey, if I don't get in, it's, it's cool. But it's, it's not. It's never cool. <laughs> it's it's cool. never cool. No. Um, so what, what are some common misconceptions that bright students and their families have about this process? Well, I think there are extremes. Uh, there are families who assume their their child cannot apply to the most selective schools. So that's one group. And then on the other end, we have parents and kids who are not realistic that they could possibly not get into the schools of their choice. So, and I think uh, both are myths, and I think the the reality is in between. Um, chances are, if they do a good job in selecting where to apply and do a good job on the applications, they will get in many places. It may not be their first choice. It, a good chance it won't be their first choice. Um, but um, you know, we do need to help kids who just don't see themselves 
as realistic candidates for schools aspire a bit higher, and the students who only think they could possibly uh, never be turned down need to be taught to be a little bit more realistic on what's going on. I I really like Mm. the way that you just explained it with the two different groups. I mean, I, I, I see... I've seen so much of that with my daughter and her peers this last year alone is that there's a real tendency toward undermatching in some parents, but in others, I wouldn't say it's overmatching, just uh, not realistic expectations. And, um, you know, uh, if you're if you're telling me that you're applying to six different Ivy League schools, I think you're doing this wrong. And um, with the expectation that that's going to work out great for them. But but. What I find is when I talk to groups of parents, um, they know kind of the group that they're in, but they can't even fathom that the other group exists. So the undermatching yeah. parents are like, why would anyone expect you could get into these good schools with kids who have perfect SAT scores and are super well-rounded? And like, no, 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 you're aiming too low. The other group, it's like, you know, you don't need to apply to every single elite admissions university, that's actually not a good use of your time and resources. They they can't understand why someone wouldn't do that. So it, it really is almost two different worlds. And then if they've only gone for elite on the basis of prestige, they haven't done their homework. Exactly. Because those schools, there's a lot they do not have in common that should be factored in. Um, I also find after a um, certain number of rejections come in, there's a lot of wanting to blame someone. Oh, the, you know, my recommendations must not have been good or, or you know, I should have done this instead. And realistically, a lot of it's just about the numbers. There just isn't space for all these kids. And, and uh, you know, they shouldn't be going through high school, choosing how to get through high school only to get into college. Right. These, these kids need to be um, enjoying high school, pursuing what they're genuinely interested in, and hopefully it will all work out in the end that they will end up at a school they really love. Yeah, I, I, and I definitely want to circle back to this point, too, at the end. But um, uh, as I keep finding myself telling people, this is a mile marker. It's not a finish line. And I, and I, But at the same time, I totally get our culture, especially for bright students, especially for bright students, does treat it as a finish line when it really is supposed to be a springboard to you know life satisfaction professional success where they're just not they're just not looking at that way. you just remind me of sorry i just saw this on social media i won't mention the school but an admissions dean had a tweet about a week ago saying if you're gonna call and yell at us because we didn't <laughs> let your kid in make sure you're actually calling the right university before you start yelling on the phone <laughs> fair call the wrong school which i think is both uh pathetic and hysterical but um let's Take a step back from the admissions process. Okay. When should a bright student start to be thinking about the college search process? Well, certainly at CTY, we have middle school kids who are already thinking about it, and that's fine. You know, if, if we tell parents, you know, if you happen to be in a new community and there's a college campus nearby and you want to visit while you're there, um, that should be encouraged. You know, kids can start looking at characteristics, attributes that are important to them. Start thinking about, you know, do you like the rural atmosphere or do you like the busy city? Do you like the big school, small school? Just attributes at that point, not picking names that are going to be part of the application process. And um, 
Then I would say the next step after these kind of casual visits is do some homework online where you can really start identifying colleges that have what you want, which might be the major, um, or you already know you want an urban school. Let's see what's out there and, and what they have to offer. And then gradually more serious visits. I would say by junior year, you want to be visiting schools that are seriously making it to your application list. Um, it can be in the summer. A lot of people will give advice, don't go in the summer, go during the school year. You can see more because classes are in session. But realistically, with busy schedules, that may not work. So you do a first visit in the summer, and you get to see the campus. You get to see the town. You may, may have an opportunity to interact with some students who are on campus. Um, and then ultimately, though, you want a school year visit to the school you may really attend. <laughs> So whether that happens, you know, in the fall of senior year or whether it happens after the admissions come in and you know you've already been accepted. Um, so I could see almost um, kind of three kinds of visits. The preliminary, let's look around, see what we like. Sort um, of a college campus tourism. Yeah. And it might be where you're spending a summer program. But think of it more like, you know, would I want to go to this kind of a try, college? Try, try it on for size, yeah. And then the, the second level would be a more serious look, um, maybe around junior year. And then eventually, you know, try to go back and spend a night, spend a time in a classroom, you know, the more serious look if you're really thinking of, of enrolling. Yeah, especially yeah. – um, I just – I. Fit is so important, but there's also environmental fit, right? Just getting the physical context. Are you comfortable? If you go to uh, a high school in a town where your entire town has 5,000 people in it, a campus of 50,000 students is a huge change. Don't just go visit in the middle of the summer when there may not be people there. Right. Like go in October or February or March when you're going to see what the weather's like. What does this place look like when everyone is here? Um, sometimes it can be the same exact feel, but in my experience, sometimes it can be totally different. Um, and for my own family, it was, it was so helpful to actually go to these campuses um, uh, so that my daughter could kind of learn what she wanted to mm -hmm. see in them. It re really changes the context for everything. Also talk to students. Right. You know, right. They're going to answer your questions. Admissions has their party line. But um, talk to students and see if you can get answers to the concerns that you have. Um, it, what, what, one thing that I always laugh about is I don't uh, – there's not a student tour leader who doesn't say – um, and on our campus, uh, professors eat lunch with their students sometimes. <laughs> and I always laugh and think, one, is that really appropriate? And then two, no, they don't. That's not – I mean, but everybody has that line in there yeah. that, uh, no, this is a really approachable learning environment. Yeah, it probably is. But it is funny that you get the same line. So, yes, definitely talk to students. Um, I think the big school, small school question is an important mm -hmm. one. Um, and um, But I wouldn't rush to rule – thinking your child wants a small school, rule out the big ones because there may be a community within the large school that they could attach themselves to, whether it's an honors college or a department or, or however the housing is organized, that they can make a smaller community within the large school campus. But I do think for comfort, ultimately, this, this idea of large numbers of other students and, and size, physical size, can really affect comfort level. Yeah, I think I think a lot of the big publics, especially, let's say the last 15 to 20 years, 
have been much more deliberate about helping students create smaller communities,、uh-huh. even as many of these big public schools have grown and grown and grown.、Um, in some ways, it's actually become easier and easier and easier to sort of find find your group, to find your clan.、Um, I、uh, think particularly the honors colleges、yeah. are intended to serve that purpose,、right. and and certainly for very bright for, kids, for, that for can be a, students, a, a、yeah. really good solution. I, so.、Uh, You raise a good point here. I, is college for every bright student, though? <laughs>、um, well, I'm. I'm. There are plenty of examples of very successful entrepreneurs who never went to college or who dropped out in the middle. So、um, I guess the answer is it's not for everyone. But I really believe in a foundation of liberal arts learning,、mm. and I, I, and I think so many. There's so much evidence of students who change career fields down the road. You never quite know. Where the roots would help them do that, so I would. I, I my bias is yes, that college of some kind to give a foundation for wherever kids go down the road should be part of the, of their education, at least undergraduate. They don't, you know, graduate school can be a different decision. Right,、um, I agree for all the reasons that you mentioned, and I also think the maturation、um, issues are pretty important too. In that、uh, it does force you to grow up a little bit,、um, to be on your own, to make mistakes, and to have to solve your mistakes without the help from a parent or your favorite teacher or the principal who knows you're a great student. Those people aren't there, so you have to learn to build your own support network, and you will make mistakes, and you have to learn. Okay, well. I need to live with the consequences here, and、um, I will not name the state or the governor. But I was—I <laughs>、uh, uh, heard a talk by a governor once, and he was talking about how college isn't necessary. And he went on and on and on about it. It had a real anti-intellectual flavor, so I did not like it, as you can imagine.、Um, and he was like, "So you know, we should just do online programs for everybody. We don't need the college campus experience anymore." But then he also gave all these talks where he talked about when he went to an elite private university,、um, he got in trouble and he he got arrested. And it was a very minor thing. Just college students don't do stupid things sometimes. But then he he talked so movingly about how that really made him grow up, and it made him realize he had to be responsible for himself, and he had a responsibility to his family who was、uh, supporting him.、Um, so so even though he clearly gained so much from the residential experience of you know learning to live an intellectual life for you know three to five years on your Own,、um, then he would turn around and say, "But who needs it?" It's like, "Well, no, I, I, a lot of bright people need that experience, and you can learn so much from it if you take it seriously." I agree completely, and yet it's a relatively safe environment versus、right. just leaving home and going out into the world. There are <laughs> <Right> protections, and <laughs> I、um, often、uh, refer to it as a、um, halfway house to adulthood. <laughs> you're not quite there, yeah, but you're not、mm-hmm. on your own. It's it's, it's kind of the Middle ground to help you learn to grow up, especially if you haven't had to do that. Right. So there are academic advantages, social advantages,、right. emotional advantages.、Um, it certainly is something we would strive for for all the children that we work with. Is there a common mistake you see bright students make when they start this process or go go through this process? Well, the common mistake is applied to all the Ivies and nowhere else.、Yeah. I think that's the biggest problem. And、uh, again, I, there are students left with no choices because they are not accepted. But more than that, they may not even have been the right choices in the first place. Right, they they chose them for the wrong reason. Right, yeah. yeah. 
Linda, if you could provide just two to three bits of advice to a very talented student who's listening to this, their family's listening to this, they're just starting to think about the college search process, what's the advice that's on the top of your list? Um, Be open to options, first of all. There are too many students who just immediately turn toward either prestigious schools or schools they know intimately from for some reason, whether it's where their parents went to school or, but more likely it's the list of the most elite colleges. Mm. And they may not be the best fit. Whether or not they get in is a separate issue. It may not be the best fit. Uh, so, you know, in the, that's a, a good reason to start early and start exploring. And, and maybe that small college in rural Maine is actually where they will flourish, but they wouldn't look at it otherwise. Uh, so I think uh, that's my best advice is start with a wide open slate and then gradually narrow based on the, the criteria that you think is most important for you. How do you think a family um, should come up with those criteria? You want to consider the personality of the child. Mm. Um, but um, hopefully uh, if you do start visiting schools, they will the kids will respond with what appeals to them, what they do and don't like. Um, I mean, I've, I've seen students who, who go to a major urban university and say, this is just too crowded. I'm not comfortable here. Or they go to a university and see big lecture halls and, and they feel like I would get lost in this. I, I, I need more intimacy. My, I went to a small high school and I'm used to small classes. Um, or they see small classes and say, ooh, I need more anonymity. Right, right. <laughs> you know, that doesn't this work is, either. This is, this is a little too cozy, uh, right? So, so the comfort <laughs> fit, I think, is the most important. But there's also, you, you know, if you want to major in architecture or you want to major in education or business, you know, not every school offers those fields. Right. So that's another factor that needs to be considered. Um, and extracurriculars. You know, you, right. you know, singing is really important to you, but you're not majoring in music. So you want a cappella groups or you want to, you know, ha- just be in a theatrical um, experience of some kind. So is that common on the campus? Uh, Linda, this has been uh, fantastic. Thank you so much uh, for your time. And uh, thanks for all you do for CTY. Thank you. It's a pleasure. That's it for this episode of Right Now. Tell us what topics you'd like to see covered in future episodes by emailing your suggestions to brightnowpodcast at gmail.com. If you enjoy Bright Now, support us by sharing the podcast with friends on social media, and be sure to subscribe, rate, and give a review on iTunes. Thanks for listening. Bright Now is produced by Jonathan Pucker, Tracy Guerin, and Trisha Schellenbach. Audio production by Iris Starkangelo and the team at Clean Cuts, a three C's company. Our score was written by Austin Coughlin from Noise Distillery. Special thanks to CTY's Interim Executive Director, Amy Shelton. Bright Now is underwritten by the Johns Hopkins Center for Talented Youth, a nonprofit dedicated to identifying and developing the talents of academically advanced students worldwide. Find us on the web at cty.jhu.edu and on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.